0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit Holdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Now here, as we turn to chapter 28, we're going to see the calling and the clothing of the priests. And then in chapter 29, which we'll study together next time in Exodus, we're going to look at then the consecration of the priests. So here we're going to see first what they're wearing and what they're meant to serve God uh, like, what their service is to be like as indicated by their clothing. And then in chapter 29, we'll see them actually be consecrated, what their ceremony that set them apart for the ministry was supposed to look like. And Really, in a sense, uh, what you have with the priests are a group of people who were to minister in the tabernacle in lots of unique ways, but very straightforwardly. They were to maintain the incense that would be altar, uh, offered twice a day on the altar inside of the tabernacle, uh, representing the prayers to, the nation, uh, to God for the nation, They were to maintain the lampstand that was inside the tabernacle as well, make sure that it was filled with oil so that the fire was continuing to burn. They were every day to replace the bread that was inside the tabernacle with fresh bread and take the old bread out. And they were to uh, maintain and offer sacrifices on the altar that was outside of the tabernacle on behalf of the people. And they were to bless the people as well. Uh, They also would, from time to time, preside over cases um, inside of uh, or among God's people, uh, sometimes dealing with things like uh, remarriage or uh, leprosy, civil cases amongst the people. And they were to instruct the people in the law of God and give encouragement to the people uh, when there were times of chaos or war. And when we get to the book of Leviticus, especially Leviticus 1 through 8, we're going to get to see the details of the sacrificial system and their work, and I hope that'll be an exciting time, actually, as we go through that portion of the book of Leviticus. One of the first things, though, that we see in this first verse of chapter 28, where we're going to look at the garments of the Old Testament priests, is that uh, God tells Moses that it would be uh, the his, his brother Aaron, who would be chosen, and Aaron's sons, who would be chosen from among the people of Israel. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this is that this means that this was not a position uh, that uh, was um, attained by character or status, but was something that God chose people for. He chose Aaron and his offspring to be the ones that would uh, serve in this position. They were not self-appointed like so many other religions, uh, but they were those who God had selected and uh, merely just because they were descendants of Aaron uh, himself. And then, of course, they were the sons. They were to be men. These were male leadership uh, positions amongst the people of Israel. And What he says there in verse one is that these men, Aaron and his four sons, they were to serve God as priests, serve God as priests. In a sense, there's a human impulse to this because all the religions of the world have some form of a priesthood or mediator that is uh, in between the deity that is being worshiped and the worshipers. Uh, But the difference here is that God is the institutor of this priesthood. And these priests are ideal representatives of all of us because the full orb of God's revelation, the Bible, teaches us that covered by the blood of Jesus, all of us are called to serve God as priests. Revelation 1 verse 6, he's made us into a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in a sense, when we look at the garments of the original priests, understanding in the back of our minds that the destiny that God has for every believer is that we would serve God as priests ourselves, uh, then we can approach this chapter knowing we got a lot to learn from this section of scripture regarding our relationship with God, regarding our service towards the Lord. Now, the four sons of Aaron are mentioned, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, when we get to Leviticus chapter 10, we're actually going to see these men suffer under the disciplinary hand of God for a specific sin that they commit. And so they will die. Uh, Eliezer and Ithamar will live on and they will, uh, again, assume the priestly duties and responsibilities. Uh, after Aaron, um, Eliezer will actually be the one who becomes the high, the high priest after Aaron's uh, death. Uh, in Verse two, it says, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. This is, these are interesting phrases here. The, the, the garments that Aaron and his uh, descendants were supposed to wear were called holy garments, and the reason that they were to be made was for glory and for beauty, or as the NIV says, for dignity and for honor. In other words, these garments were to uh, establish these priests, particularly the high priests, because what you'd have is all of the priests wearing a, a certain garment that was more humble in nature but most of what we're going to have described for us in this chapter is the, uh, the vestments or the, the trappings or the outfit of the high priest. And the idea is that this garment in the mind of God was created to create dignity and honor about the priesthood. They were to exalt the office and the function of the high priest and stimulate the worship of, and respect for God as a result of this office. So so what this highlights now is the importance of this priestly ministry that God has established. You see, if you're just kind of reading the book uh, of, uh, or the the Bible from Genesis onward, what we've had really up to this point are various figures who have operated as priests, and you definitely have figures that jump onto the scene, a figure like Melchizedek, who is the high priest of God, you have figures like that. But for the most part, you look at men like uh, Noah or uh, Enoch or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. These are figures who, as the heads of their household, they are the ones operating like the priest of that group of people, the ones building altars, offering sacrifices to God, prayers to God, creating monuments to the Lord. Now here, God is saying, you know, it's not that God is saying he didn't want the heads of the household to have any significance. He, of course, does. That's all throughout scripture. But what he's saying here now is that for this moment, the priesthood is going to be taken away from those figures. They're beginning to develop now as a nation, and it will be the uh, sons of Aaron uh, who will operate in these priestly ministries. And really, in a sense, it's, it's, it's almost shocking to say it this way, but it's kind of like the clothing makes the man in this chapter. Uh, you know, in, in the sense that. There were moments where, because, I mean, the outfit that the priest is going to wear, it just reeks of the holiness of God. They even have a, a plate that they, a golden plate that they'll put on their turban that says, holy to the Lord. The whole idea is that God is magnificent, beautiful, transcendent, and that holiness is required of these priests. And their consecration, there's blood and sacrifice and the setting apart of their bodies to God. The idea is that they're meant to be holy, but... The reality is that over time, there were many priests who were not holy men, though they should have been. Uh, so it's, it's almost as if the garments themselves, they are communicating holiness, even if the person within does not have a holy lifestyle. So it's kind of like the clothes make the man. You know, In the Bible, there are many times where clothing represents outwardly what the wearer is internally. Uh, And in this case, it's representative of what the wearer is before God. To God, these priests are holy. To God, these priests are separated from everybody else for the task at hand. And like I said, unfortunately, there were many priests over the years who didn't really have the kind of character that these garments externally communicated. We live, of course, in an era where This is possible still. All of us are called to be priests before the Lord. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you belong to God. You've been declared as holy, but the question is, are you behaving in line with the declaration that has been made over you? Uh, You might be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. His righteousness might have been imputed to your account. But then, of course, the desire of the believer is that it, then to walk in the light as he is in the, in the light, to actually be what we are, to live as we are. So uh, f- for us, you know, when, when you see, in, for instance, in places like 1 Timothy chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 1, the requirements of the pastorate or the requirements of the deaconate, uh, when you see these various descriptions and they describe the character, the internal character within, you're not actually seeing a replica or a New Testament version of what we're reading here in the Old Testament uh, where the priests, they had to be one way, and now in the New Testament, the pastors, they have to be one way. No, what we're seeing here in the Old Testament is actually comparable to to all of us because we're all called in Christ to be priests before the Lord, the priesthood of all believers. So we all are called to this holy kind of life. But when it comes to the actual pastoral ministry or the the work of actual ministry within the church, there are character requirements that must be met. And that's where passages like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 would come into play. Uh, But this is just fascinating to me. This was not an office that a man could even really aspire to. God just chose these people by birth. They were called into uh, this work. Verse three goes on and says, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Now, this little paragraph starts with an interesting phrase there in verse three, where you see that. They're called to speak to all the, Moses is called to speak to all the skillful uh, people who, he, who God has put in a spirit of skill. They'd be the ones to construct the tabernacle, but now they're going to be called here to construct or to, to uh, put together the garments of these priests, particularly, like I said earlier, the high priest. Um, but that's just an interesting phrase to me, the idea that, that uh, God is. Has made these people skillful, that he put in them a spirit of skill. I'm not trying to make too much of this or to say that every single human being on earth has a specific skill that God has given to them, but I think just by simple observation and studying of the human species, it's just clear that God has made us very different from each other. And there are talents and abilities that are innate to us that as we seek the Lord, he helps point us towards, he draws those out of us. And perhaps we might be able to say that God has given a spirit of skill to me in such and such an area of my life. Now, what these skilled workers would create for the priesthood was a breast piece that would be on the the surface of their garment that everybody would see. Underneath that, an ephod. Um, Underneath that, a robe that they would wear and a coat of checker work a turban and a sash. Um, really, those are six things, but there's eight things in total that are mentioned because there will be four inner garments that all the priests would wear. And then <clears throat> you've got four over garments that the high priest would wear. And in verse 1, 3, and 4, God repeats a phrase, they will serve me as priests priests. So this is making it clear that even though they're there to facilitate the worship of the nation, so they are serving the nation, they're there primarily to serve God, answering to God. And another thing to mention is found there in verse five, they'll receive gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. Uh, The idea here is that all the same elements that were used to build the tabernacle are now going to be used to construct the garments of the priests and particularly the high priest. Um, this is likely a way to kind of communicate that they are working in tandem. They are one and the same. And that, remember, the, inside the tabernacle, you know, there was the white linen, there was the... Um, in not the engraving but the embroidering of the cherubim on the walls. There was beauty and all of the colors that are mentioned here in verse five. The idea is, is that the high priest goes in uh, or the priest goes in with these garments. He's got garments that are matching that would remind you or remind anybody watching of what's happening on the inside. So the idea is likely that the character of the priest or the worshiper is meant to imitate the character of the place, which was, of course, imitating the character of God. So the high priest was meant to be a heavenly man, in other words. And uh, the same materials here are used for the tabernacle as would be used for their garments. And uh, the idea is that they were an extension of God in God's house himself. And it says in verse six, and they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and of fine twine linen skillfully worked." So here now he's going to describe the ephod, the first garment that gets to the description. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be like it and be of one piece with it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron, verse 12, shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. And you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. Okay, so again, here's the description of the ephod probably a waistcoat waistcoat kind of garment, Uh, had blue, purple, scarlet, and white linen thread, uh, all in it, entwined with a gold decorative thread, we learn, and this would distinguish the high priest, which at first was Aaron, um, because he would have a a breast piece, he'd have this ephod, uh, this special robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash, And his sons basically, or the other priests, just had tunics, sashes, and headbands. So they they stood, the high priest stood apart from the rest of the priesthood. It is interesting in the description of all the elements that they would wear, there is never a mention of what they would put on their feet. No shoes, no sandals. And some people think that that meant that they served God barefooted. Um, And, you know, just like when God uh, was approached at the burning bush by Moses, and God told Moses to take the sandal off his feet for the place where he stood was holy ground. Perhaps the priests served God barefooted because they were on what would be considered holy ground. Now, it's certainly possible, but we don't know with certainty. But the thing that really stands out about this uh, ephod that the high priest would wear is that there was these two onyx stones in verse 9 and 12, described where engraved on the stones were the names of the sons of Israel. So the the tribes of Israel represented there. And Aaron would then wear these, and it says in verse 12 that he would bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So the significance of this is really clear. The, The priest when going in to the temple or the tabernacle, was representing the whole nation every time that he put the ephod on and every time that he went in before the Lord. These were memorial stones for the sons or the tribes of Israel. Part of what's beautiful about this is that, of course, the high priest would be from the tribe of Levi. Uh, because he was a descendant of Aaron, and Aaron was part of the tribe of Levi. So there might have always been a question, is the priesthood biased towards a particular tribe and neglecting the rest of the tribes? But that's not the case. He's bearing all of the tribes before God. And these names symbolize uh, not only that he represents all of the tribes, but that he's carrying them on his shoulders before God. In other words, his might, his strength is being devoted to interceding for the people. And really in a sense, this to me has always been a powerful picture of the life of prayer. I know that many Christians um, really don't think very much of or about prayer. Um, In our modern era, it's popular for believers to say things like, well, you know, I just kind of pray throughout the day or um, I I really just kind of don't believe in having a real time or moment where I'm praying to God. Uh, We just kind of talk throughout the day. And in a sense, I get the sentiment because we tend to highlight the relational aspect of our walk with God. So God is your friend, your father. He is always available to you. And we are told in 1 Thessalonians 5 to be a people who pray without ceasing. So in effect, that means that not that we'll be uttering words to God all day long, but that there's meant to be an unbroken communion and fellowship between God and us. So you're reading the news and you're kind of processing it with God. You're in a conversation with somebody. You're asking God for wisdom. You're driving down the road. You're thanking God for whatever there is. So we can be in prayer without ceasing. I completely understand the concept and the idea. But this element, the onyx stones with the names of Israel on their shoulders, to me it speaks of a more intentional attitude in prayer. I think for this, in the New Testament era, we have Paul's prayer life and ministry. He listed so many people that he intentionally prayed for, interceded for before God. And he clearly had a burden for people. And I think this these onyx stones represent that burdened life of prayer before God, bringing someone else to the throne room of God, asking God to move in their life, asking God to do things that perhaps they aren't even asking God to do in the first place in their own lives. So the priest would wear these ephods, and I I think that when we read about them, they should encourage us to be a people of prayer who are intentionally interceding for those in our lives. But he goes on in verse 15 to talk about the next piece, which is the breast piece. And this is going to be the most descriptive element of all of the garments. It's very important. It's got a few different elements to it. It says in verse 15, you shall make a breast piece of judgment and skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, you shall make it. So this is the introduction to this breast piece. And basically, just kind of an overview of the breast piece because it's kind of as you read through the description, it's easy to get a little bit lost in it. It's made the same way as the ephod, it was folded in half. And basically, what the breast piece ended up being was a, a nine inch by nine inch square that would sit on the front of the uh, high priest. And it had a pouch in it for a thing called the urim and the thummim, which we'll talk about in a moment. And it had 12 precious gems on it, each one representing one of the tribes of Israel. And uh, as I said, the detail that we're about to read is, um, you know, more detail than any of the other elements. So this highlights for us the importance of this breast piece in the mind of God. It says in verse 16, it shall be a square and double to span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, a, an agat, and, or excuse me, an agat, an amethyst, and the fourth row a barrel an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breast piece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree. And so attach it to the front, uh, in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breast piece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces. Of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod. So the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron, verse 29, shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So again, great detail in this uh, breast piece that is constructed, 12 stones. They represent the 12 tribes. And again, verse 29, Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment on his heart. So two onyx stones with six tribes each on his shoulders. Now you have 12 stones, each with a name for Israel, each representing a tribe of Israel on his Heart and he bears them um, before the Lord. And so, again, the precious stones symbolizing the value that God places upon his people. He considers each one of his people precious in his sight, these precious stones representing the preciousness of the people of Israel in the eyes and in the mind of God. And this priest is bringing them before the Lord. He is a representative, he's responsible uh, to the Lord. And again, the names of the sons of Israel, they just are all over the priest, his shoulders, his heart. And, uh, you know, the, the idea being that he is bearing these people before the Lord. So on his two shoulders, you got the stones. And then again, on his chest, the 12 individual stones. So I love this because it, it speaks of the priest having the people on his shoulders, and on his chest, or in his strength, he's bringing them to God, and then a heart of compassion for the people. So working for them, but also uh, interceding for them, loving them, caring for them, being compassionate for them. And, uh, you know, the high priest, if you really think about where this role developed over time, uh, you do wonder, you know, as the Day of Atonement approached each year, were there a multitude of compassion required conversations that the high priest would have with citizens in Israel who knew that he was going to represent them before God and perhaps confessing sins or telling him of something they needed God's grace for and would he confess their sin to the to the Lord or something like that and uh, conversations like that require great compassion and so the high priest with this garment is meant to be that kind of person. And uh, for me, I want to be the kind of believer who, you know, uses my shoulders, my strength, energy, might, uh, mind, talents, ability, um, and then also my compassion, my heart, my character uh, for the people of the Lord. But he also says in verse 30, to conclude this portion about the breast piece, that In the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now this leads us to the mysterious subject of this uh, these elements called the Urim and the Thummim, which literally just means lights and perfections, but speculation abounds as to what they actually were. They were somehow inside the pouch that was behind this breast piece. And generally, it seems that they were used somehow to help the priests determine God's will for his people. So some have suggested that they were a black and white stone that you know, one was dark, one was light, and one represented yes and no, and so the priest would ask these yes and no questions before the Lord and pull out a stone, and that's how they would get their answers. Other believed that it was more uh, supernatural than this and that something illuminated, that God actually did this, perhaps even with the stonework on the front of the breast piece uh, uh, for the, the priest. Uh, but... However it operated, it does seem that somehow the priests were meant to be figures who helped the people of Israel determine God's will, God's desires for their lives at various critical points. And again, verse 29 and 30 tell us they were to bring the people to regular remembrance before the Lord and to bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So the idea here uh, is that um, they would help the people. Uh, the, the phrase bear judgment um, in verse 30 is a phrase not found elsewhere. And some have translated it making decisions. So, so like making judgments, making determinations, making decisions. So it's very possible that the priest was meant not only to be a man of prayer but also a man who you could seek direction and guidance and counsel from. So again, thinking about um, the priesthood of all believers, of course, Jesus is our great high priest. Uh, He did not take up the priesthood of Aaron or the tribe of Levi, but of Melchizedek, actually, when you look at uh, the book of Hebrews. But he fulfilled this whole priestly ministry, so now we all have complete access to God. But again, we're all called to be priests before the Lord's, so when you think about the garments up to this point, well, you're learning that, well, you know, as God's people, we're to be a people of prayer, we're to be interceding for other people. And now this added element that perhaps as, as priests of God, uh, we should be people who are able to give competent biblical counsel to help point people towards God's purposes and will for their lives. And Of course, that might not mean that we know the specific things that a person should do at any place in time. But with a Bible-saturated mind, you know the mind of the Lord in some general ways. And so that might equip you to listen to somebody as they're going through life and help kind of give them counsel and guidance for uh, where you know, where they should go and what they should do. And because they're made in the image of God, you've studied God's book, you've learned a bit about what human beings need to look like and what God's redemptive work can become in them. And so the counsel that you might be able to give to somebody uh, as time goes on. And again, don't be afraid of that word counsel as if you have to, you know, inv- you have to, every, every Christian's got to go buy a couch or something that you have your, your patient lie down on as they pour out their lives to you like you're a therapist or something like that. I'm just talking about the regular course of life. And as you're talking and asking questions, you know, a believer should become more equipped to be able to share the word of the Lord with someone else. Now, in verse 31, we move on to the robe. It says, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. All right, so underneath the ephod and the breast piece, there would be this robe that they would wear. Uh, It was to be sleeveless and blue, Uh, no seam, probably go a little bit below the knees, and it would have slits for their head and for their arms so they could operate inside of it. And uh, along the hem were blue and purple and scarlet um, colors, kind of alternating. And then these pomegranates, it says, at the, at the bottom of it, kind of around the, the bottom edge uh, with golden bells that would jingle as they kind of moved about the tabernacle. So everybody on the outside could hear when the priest was moving on the inside of the tabernacle. And then there's this ominous phrase, um, so that he does not die. <laughs> At the end there of verse 35, so that he'll be heard, so that he does not die. The idea being that, that uh, God is holy. You have this priest, you know, he's got to offer these sacrifices before he goes in to spend time with the Lord. If his hands are unclean, if he is unholy, then if they didn't hear the bells jingling any longer, then they would know that well, he, our, our priest might have died in the presence of the Lord. It was in a later era that they began uh, uh, to uh, put, put a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that they could drag him out of there if he did die, uh, but that wasn't prescribed here at this point. It's just kind of told that you need to have this, these pomegranates with bells on the, outer garment so that he can be heard as he moves around into the holy place. Uh, The idea of this garment, again, it's very ornate um, and beautiful. As some have suggested that the pomegranates represent a fruitfulness before God, uh, a joyfulness of, of fruit before the Lord. And all of these colors were very bright, festive kind of colors would make the high priest stand out. And then the sound, of course, would made, make him stand out even more because you'd hear him coming, you'd see him coming, you'd hear him coming. And uh, again, it would communicate this beauty and glory, like the first verse had said about the priest and his garments, a respect for that position, so to speak. And uh, so, so again, just a, a, a beautiful image of who this priest was. And then in verse 36, he says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. You shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. Now here's where uh, the, the messaging of this outfit really comes to a crescendo. Uh, he'd have this turban on his head with a plate, a golden plate that said, holy to the Lord. This expressed a need for this man. He's declared holy by God. But it expresses a need for him to be holy before God. Uh, When they're consecrated, there will be blood on their right ear, their left or right uh, thumb, and their right big toe. It kind of communicates, I'm going to holy places. I'm doing holy things, and I'm consuming holy things. I'm not an impure person. And uh, here God is declaring, this is a holy person, uh, that with this golden plate on their head, it's kind of like, you know, you, you can't get away from seeing this. You could not look at the high priest, uh, without seeing this golden plate, just kind of right there, right above their eyes, declaring them to be holy unto God, holy unto the Lord. I actually have this image in my head right now. in one of the study, uh resources that I used that had an artistic rendering of of one of the priests, and you do. You just see this turban. It stands out, this metal plate, and the particular drawing that I have, uh, I don't know why they did it this way, but the priest sure looks like George Clooney to me with a big, huge beard, uh, white beard, but just looks like a dead ringer for George Clooney. There's a high priest, so I can picture it right now in my mind's eye, but here again, this holiness unto God. The sacred diadem over uh, their head. And it's just a further reminder of what God is looking for for us as we serve him as priests. You know, he wants to help purify us and grow us, make us holy before him. And it probably helps us understand that you know, as we walk with him, this is one of the things that he's trying to do in us. He's trying to bring out the holiness that Jesus has deposited into our hearts and into our lives. So it's not for us to make ourselves holy, but it is for us to join God in the process of developing real, true, and legitimate holiness uh, within. And uh, so, they were to go in before the Lord, and it says there in verse uh, 38 that they were to bear any guilt from the holy things that they would be accepted before the Lord. So the idea here is that, again, as representatives, they were to bring the guilt of Israel before God. Now, verse 40 uh, to 43, we close out with just a small description of the ordinary priestly garments. Everything we've looked at up to this point, this is the way the high priest would dress. But he says in verse forty, for Aaron, for Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. And you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen garments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the, the altar to minister in the holy place lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. So again, this is the garments of the ordinary priests serving with the high priest. And their garments, again, verse 40, were also for glory and beauty, the same reason that was given for the high priest's garments. Uh, All these priests would be consecrated, these garments would be consecrated, Uh, He even gets down to describing what they would wear underneath their garments, their linen undergarments. It would not be like the pagan nations that would often in their priesthood serve their gods with um, lewdness and nakedness, things like that. Their nakedness would be covered. And when they approached God, they would approach God with dignity and with care. Now, in just thinking about this chapter as we close this out today, it might be easy for us to reflect on it. And, you know, for, for me... I really don't detach myself from this and think to myself, wow, what a what a strange, odd era that was. And what I think about is I think, well, you know, God's glory and God's presence was there in that tabernacle. You know, the, when, when the ark was constructed, the holy of holies, the holy place, the candlesticks, the... Uh, the table of showbread. The showbread was placed there on that table. The altar of incense, the incense being burnt, the laver outside to cleanse, the bronze altar, the walls around the tabernacle. When, when all of that was instituted and the priests put on their garments and they offered those sacrifices, the presence of the Lord came. The Shekinah glory of God was thick there in that place. And I just think about what that would have been like for the priests to go in to the presence of God, you know, to spend time with God in his presence. And I'll be honest, you know, there's a little part of me that is kind of jealous of what that would have been like. Just as when I read that Moses went to the tent of meeting and he met with God face to face as a man meets with his friend, I'm a little jealous of that connection, with God, that visceral, real, experiential contact with the God of all flesh. But what we learn through the progressive revelation of scripture is that when Jesus came, tabernacled among us for 33 years or so, and died and rose from the dead and ascended, he poured out his spirit so that the spirit would come to live inside of us. So now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are the priesthood of the believers, so we can go in to spend time with God. We can pray, we can boldly come to his throne of grace, and in a sense, what we have is so much better. Not just better because we all can do it, and in this instance, only the high priest could do it. That is part of what's better. But it's also not just better, it's not just better in quantity, it's better in quality. Uh, the, the, The radical access that we have as God's children to his throne of grace. I pray that we would enjoy it more than we ever have. And that perhaps these garments would help us be stimulated to do so. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.